You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. Friends, again, good morning, and welcome to worship with us here at Eastside. It is a joy to be with you, and if I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Tim, and I'm the minister here. And if you're a guest with us this morning, or if you are returning after having been away for a minute, we are knee-deep in a message journey series that we've titled The Eastside Story. And... Essentially, we're kind of walking through some of the background of what was the genesis of our church, where we came from, some of the stories, and some of the, the history of our congregation. And most recently, we've been walking through those words that are at the bottom of the sign outside of our building here facing Moreland Avenue, creative, historic, inclusive, and last Sunday we looked at United Methodist. And this morning we're going to be walking through or, or looking at the, the phrase that you'll see in other places with those words on the sign, justice-oriented. And there's, there's kind of a, a variety of reasons why um, it stops at United Methodist out there on the sign, but I hope to speak to that briefly at the beginning of my message after we've looked at our scripture text this morning and a little bit of the, the, the rationale behind that reality. But this morning we're going to look at the, the text from Isaiah that Jesus actually was reading in our gospel passage that Dave read for us during open, opening liturgy when Jesus is handed a scroll in the synagogue in worship and he reads aloud this section from Isaiah, it is actually a section from the text that I'm about to read to you this morning for our time together. So friends, for those in the space, as you're able, I invite you to stand with me in body or in spirit. And for those who are digitally participating, I invite you to Allow your bodies to be in a, in a place that you can receive and hear holy words of ancient scripture from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to to give them a garland instead of ashes, the, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They're gonna build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They're gonna repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. 
Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners are going to till your land and dress your vines. But you all shall be called priests. You all shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of nations, and in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was double and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery, wrongdoing. I'll faithfully give them their recompense and I'll make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My my whole being shall exalt in my God. For, For God has clothed me with garments of salvation. God has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations." Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, as we have gathered in your name, I ask that these words that I have prepared would become your word for your people in this time. God, I ask that you would speak through them and where necessary, speak in spite of me. And as I preach, God, may the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer, God, our savior. All this we pray in the name of the Christ. And everyone said, amen. Friends, you may be seated. So if you do a quick study of our brother, John Wesley, and we spoke a little bit about him last Sunday. He and his brother Charles, they're the the catalytic priests from England of the Anglican Church who hundreds of years ago now, Wesley was born in 1703, so you can kind of do the math, but at Oxford they start these, these, these little clubs, and the clubs essentially gather together to study scripture. They read the, the ancient writings of the, of the fathers and mothers of the church, and they, they study and they, and they practice spirituality together, the disciplines, they meditate and they pray, and they feast on Holy Communion. They, they confess their sins one to another. They, they tithe, they give, they pull their money these little groups, and these groups would begin by engaging in this, this sort of pious act, this sort of what to us would look like this kind of re- tiny little religious community of however many they had, eight, seven, nine people, and it would be easy to look at that little, little group gathered in, I don't know if they would gather in the library or in, in a 
basement of one of the church buildings or something and see them as sort of, of kind of off to the side, sort of set apart. And if you're not a part of that little holy group, holy huddle thing they're doing, it might seem kind of irrelevant to the rest of us, right? Like, that's nice for y'all that you're in there meditating or whatever, but like, we're all out here in the world. But what is important and distinctive about Brother John and Brother Charles is that they never saw that, that, that daily huddle that they would do with their brothers as they would pray and, and feast on communion and study scripture together. They never saw that as, as the end in, of its, in itself. In other words, they would never break at the end and then just go back to their dorms or wherever they stayed back in Oxford. No, they would break and their breaking was a continuance where they together would then go out into the streets around Oxford. They would find the poor and they would utilize the, the money that they had just pooled for their worship gathering as a token of their worship. And they would pool that money and they would literally help the poor on the streets. And, and in that time period, in the 1700s in England, there were lots of, lots of people who were struggling with severe poverty. The Wesley brothers saw this, this first act of, 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 of worship, this tiny corporate worship, as a way to, to set their minds and their hearts and tensions and to fill themselves in such a way that then they were equipped to immediately go out and offer in a tangible way, right, with, with real material stuff, the love of God to another human being. It was always the rhythm of the Wesley brothers. And, and that's the roots of, of our United Methodist tribe. That's, that's the catalyst. Those are the people who had the ideas that led to who we are today. And I think it's really important for us to keep that in mind for all the, all the ways that our various denominations and nations and organizations and whatever's in the world today let us down. It, it, it can be the case that the United Methodist Church sometimes lets us down and, and continues to in some ways, but at the same time, don't forget where we came from and, and who we came from and how we came about. We are a, a denomination that has always been about this very intricately related relationship between the state of our inward being and relationship with God and with the other, the other fellow journeyers that were walking alongside and with the real work of physical and material and actual transformation in our neighborhood. That's who we are, going back to the United Methodist Church and the Wesley brothers were enamored by this vision because they saw that as what the early church did and they were obsessive studiers of scripture and they, they knew the ancient Christian communities well in terms of, 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 of the way that, that they were described and are described in scripture in various ancient documents. So it didn't make it onto the sign justice-oriented, but it's because we believe that 
when understood in our proper context, both United Methodist and the word historic ought to both point to the reality that Christianity and our Jewish forerunners, justice is not some new idea, but it's actually a central and core part of our, of our dual traditions going all the way back into the ancient scriptures. Justice is not something that we sort of need to, to tack on because it's, it's a new thought or something, but it's actually laced and, and embedded throughout the texts of scripture, old and new, which is why we looked at Jesus with Dave's reading and then we looked back at what Jesus was reading, self-referencing his own work coming into the world through Isaiah, this, this interchange, this, this interplay between the two, Jesus, when he begins his public ministry in Luke's account of the gospel, he, he, he announces that as he's reading this text, this text that says that the, the blind will see and that the hungry will be fed, that, that God's justice is going to be entering the world, that the, the year of Jubilee was going to, to begin in his work, in his ministry. Jesus says that in his life and, and what he is bringing about, this is coming into being, it, it's happening. But I think one of the questions that we, we often need to ask when we look at Jesus and we look at this, this radical claim that the book of Isaiah's sort of vision for the future, this jubilee, this, if you're not familiar with jubilee, by the way, it's the idea that that there'd be a rest year every seven years that would kind of mirror the weekly Sabbath. And this rest year was for the soil, so you weren't really supposed to farm the, the soil on the seventh year, but you were supposed to let them remain fallow so that they would have an opportunity to rest. Kind of e ecological justice, if you will. Don't, don't steal everything from the soil. But also, there was this idea that within the Jewish family and the tribes, there would be a resetting of the debt system. So debts would all be canceled and forgiven every seven years was, was the intention of Jubilee. And scholars argue about whether or not anybody ever actually practiced it in the ancient Jewish uh, world, canceling debts every seven years but it's on the books as something that they were supposed to do. And it's something that Jesus references at the beginning of his ministry in looking to this Isaiah text. Only Jesus is probably not speaking of a year of Jubilee. My, my inclination as I read Jesus and study him is that he's probably referencing more of an age of Jubilee, if you will, an age of the resetting of debt and the, the dispensation of forgiveness towards one another. We see that in the Lord's Prayer pretty radically. But his words in Luke 4 are very much so about justice. They're very tangible, like Brother Wesley and the other Brother Wesley. And I think that's important for us this morning as we look at East Side and we reiterate and we name the fact that justice it is a core value of our, of our church community. And it's not a new thing. And it, 
it actually goes all the way back to the, to the beginning of our church fellowship of our body back in Oakhurst in 2011. Our very first Candler intern, um, her entire focus was on helping Eastside sort of form and create ministry around the work of justice. And over the years, and, and we don't have time to kind of rehash it all, but over the years, that, that work with justice in the, in the world is, has changed and evolved and had different iterations and different, different leadership and different ways that it has been talked about and lived out, different, I guess, strategic um, ways that we lean into it. But also, a little bit has changed in the world in the last decade, amen? I mean, this is, the church is, founded before, you know, Black Lives Matter and Me Too, and just there's so much in the world around just consciousness around much of the societal and systemic issues of justice that were not as, as awareness was not as readily available and, and to what it is today. So the church as well, we, we, had to always be looking at ourselves and how we were relating to what was happening around us. But justice, justice is not a new thing for Eastside and it's not a new thing for the United Methodist Church and it's not a new thing for Christianity. And I love the Isaiah reading because, which, which verse was it where it says, verse eight, I the Lord love justice and I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Text says that God loves justice. Which is an interesting idea to think about, to love justice. What does it look like to to be so obsessed with something that you can say that you love it? That is God's relationship to this notion of justice, which is why we, albeit very imperfectly, continue to return to justice and return to using this idea of justice as a mirror for our own existence and our own being and our own practice. But the last I guess whatever, however many months it has been since COVID started, 18 months or so, they've really, they've been disruptive, <laughs> right? COVID has been remarkably challenging for all the reasons, but, but really challenging for a lot of churches. And Eastside's not unique in this because churches in, in essence, one of the things that sort of defines this church is our, our gatheredness. And we were rightly told, don't do that for a while until we get this vaccine thing figured out and understand better how this works. And in addition to, to, to telling churches, don't, don't physically gather in that way, it also had an impact on things beyond Sunday morning worship. For, for instance, our group, or our church, we have core groups, and core groups tend to meet in people's homes, which is a confined, closed space. 
notably modeled after John and Charles Wesley's holy clubs back in Oxford, but again, told not to gather in in closed spaces and, and in that way. And I'd be... I'd be wrong not to name the fact that it's been a challenge to figure out what justice ministry looks like in this context. Don't, don't gather. And yet the, the call from Micah 6.8 still there to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And We've wrestled with this, and we've done, we've done some things digitally. We've done some really profound dialogues around issues related to racial justice and to poverty, and we actually have another one of those coming up this week on Tuesday night. And these have been really impactful at a, at a sort of pedagogical, conversationally transformative way. But it doesn't it doesn't mitigate the reality that there's still people who want to know, like, but what are we doing, right? With, with, with what, by which they mean, like, what are we tangibly doing with our hands and our feet, with our physicalities that we've been told to keep away from one another for a good while? And rightly so, so don't hear me wrong, I'm not critiquing that. I'm just saying it's been a reality. So it's been a struggle to figure out how and what to do in this real tangible way. And as I've thought a lot about justice orientation this week leading into this morning, I, I've just had the image, in part because of what happened last Sunday, but I've had the image of our community um, pantry and community clothes closet, which is this outdoor um, pantry and clothes closet that's <laughs> right out here on the side of the sanctuary. And I think we're about to retire maybe our, our fourth um, physical structure because they keep breaking. But we, we had an Eagle Scout say that they wanted to do a project and build us a, a, a really good, stable, long-term outdoor uh, shelf pantry closet thing. And some of our East Side members helped work on that project on Sunday, just this past week. And I've been thinking a lot about the pantry and the closet because of the way in which it, it has kind of had this subtle and humble, but sort of day by day reality and function within the church. We, we don't make a, like a big deal about it. We don't make huge campaigns and huge drives for the community closet. You can find from time to time, if you read the weekly email that goes out on Wednesdays at noon, the, the weekly email that goes out on Wednesdays at noon, I say three times, the weekly email that goes out at when, Wednesdays at noon, um, sometimes that will have items that we need. And sometimes as seasons change, you'll see that there's seasonal changes. But it's all really subtle, and you can totally skip over it and miss it and not pay any attention to it. But what's been really neat since it's moved out there, I think now it's been out there for, for two years plus, is that it just it keeps perpetuating itself. 
and people continue to come. And this past Sunday, when I was on my way out from Sunday worship, there was a lady who was, who'd pulled her van up, and she was just stacking the nines to that thing. It doesn't go to our church at all, but just found out about it. And she's like, yeah, I'm trying to get more of my neighbors to participate and, and to bring stuff and to, when they've got their BOGO, BOGO coupons or whatever, to, to, to bring it over. And I was like, that's remarkable and fascinating that this, this little thing, this pantry that keeps breaking, right, it keeps perpetuating itself. And if you're in the office every day, somebody comes in and you're like, oh, who would that be right now? Ah, I bet it's a pantry person. And nine times out of 10, it's somebody coming in to stock the pantry that day because they, they have to do it every day because it, within a day, it gets completely emptied. But it's this, it's this beautiful image of, of a text that I've already referenced from Micah where the three of these ideas are paired of do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. It, it is a humble, simple way to, to do justice. It's not flashy, it's not fancy. And it is mercy-based, it, it's offering something to people who need something. And it is justice, because what is justice? From God's perspective, I see justice as those realities which are assuring up of the world where the world's not as God originally and continues to dream and desire that it be. If God is the maker of the world and there are dimensions and realities within our world that, that miss, miss the, the the wholeness that God wants for it, then those are realities where this, this, this idea of justice, of rightness, of righteousness needs to be brought. And if people are hungry, that's a justice issue. If people need clothes, that's a justice issue. If people need access to transportation, that's a justice issue. If people need a place to live or to stay or a, a roof over their head, all of these are justice issues. And as such, they are Christian issues because Christianity and justice are irrever irrevocably wed together. They're, they're, they can't be pulled apart. If you do, you've got two really weird things. But you can't have the Christian faith and not have a people who, whether they do it or not, of people who are being called constantly by the divine to engage in this work. It's not really optional, whether we like it or not. And whether we do it or not, it's not optional. It just means that we're sort of living with this blaring thing we're not doing over here. And that's just really uncomfortable, as it should be. But maybe some of you have felt if you've not been able to connect with or invest in the pantry, you, you have felt a, a sense of like, I'm missing something of, 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 of doing justice through, through my relationship with God and with the church and with Christianity. And this question I keep going back to, and, and I, 
I keep coming to the image of the pantry because I think what the pantry's done really nicely for us is it's given us sort of a counter image to the way I tend to think about social justice work or, or um, justice orientation within the church, which I, I think of collective. I like to think of mobilizing the group and getting everybody to do something awesome together and something that we can talk about and remember and look back on or whatever. But COVID says no to that and has continued to say no to that. And even before that, that was challenging for our community because you all know your schedules. Now you all have kids and multiple kids and, and you're starting grad programs or you're there's just so much going on in y'all's lives, and it's, it can be really a challenge to align everything that you all are trying to just do to be humans in the world, but also then to, to add a scheduled event or time to do to like do justice with Eastside or whatever. And what's beautiful about the pantry is that people just come when they can, and they participate when they're able, and they give what they bring. It's, it's weirdly individual. It's communal, and a bunch of individuals are doing it, but it's, it is individual. And it's leading me to think about and to wonder if at the end of the day, the, the, the aim of the church is to join with God in rebuilding and recreating and transforming this world, I think that one way that that happens is by big collective efforts, big mobilizations and, and things that churches can all do together. But I think one of the things that I'm learning about in COVID and that God continues to like put in front of me is to also say, but what about you, Tim? Like, What's your unique contribution to the work of, of justice and of transformation? And how are you personally invested and involved in that? Like, what, are, what are you doing? And then that, of course, is leading me to ask the question of, of each of us. Like, what are each of our individual ways? Because we can look at whatever the church is offering and say, well, I don't want to do that or I gotta pick my kids up, or I'm out of town that weekend, and we can write off and, and kind of blame it on a vague organizational thing, right? Well, I'm not doing it because blah, 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 and that's fine. Those things are real and they do happen. But what if we shifted the onus from, from just the collective but to the individual in that we all recognize, just like the text said in, in Isaiah, that, that we are all within the priesthood of, of, of the nation of God, and we are all ministers in this work, which means that each of us has our own unique calling to bring to the table. And I don't know what that is for you, and I'm working on discovering what that is for me. But for some of you, it might be like picking up all the broken bikes you find on garbage day and bringing them to your garage and fixing them up and then taking them over to like Vine City and giving them out to kids who's, who could really use transportation but whose folks cannot afford to buy them a bicycle 
or whose bicycle got stolen last week. Maybe it's to knit scarves, ding, 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 knit scarves to give out these beautiful boutique handcrafted scarves to folks who, who, who need them out throughout the city. Maybe it's to give free art lessons to a next door neighbor. I don't know, like think about yourself and think about you and ask like, how can I do justice? How can I participate in the transformation of the world, especially right now during COVID when it's just hard to participate in group things? And I have a dream that I have not totally worked through the channels yet, but I, I think it would be a really interesting idea to have a grant fund at Eastside that we can give to and apply to for, for if our dream is something that takes physical resources that we need to, to accomplish it. We can go to the church and say, here's what I would love to do, and would there be, could, could I get a grant for $500 to, to get this thing started? I, I think there could be something really beautiful in handing it sort of back to y'all to say, we're not telling you what to do. We're just telling you you need to do justice. And we even want to help support you in that and give you the chance to support one another in that. So keep, keep your ear to the ground as we continue to think about that and pray about it. And think about it yourselves. How, how are you being called to, to do justice as, a, as an individual member of this church body. Maybe so in the name of God, the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. And everyone said, amen. And I'll invite Brother Dave forward to lead us in the prayers of the people. Hey, y'all. Good morning. Um, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Dave Logeman. Uh, and this morning, I'll be inviting us uh, to participate together uh, in the prayers of the people. There's a part of me, I will be honest, who thinks we should keep this prayer very short and just say thank you, Jesus, for putting Atlanta in the World Series. Um, but uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna stick to the script this morning. We have uh, some other things to, to pray about uh, and to bring to God this morning. Um, I, so some of you may know, um, I have a very kind of interesting relationship with, with prayer. Um, it's just not something that comes to me very easily, and it's not something that I... Uh, understand um, and, and even do very often, frankly, in, in my own spiritual life. And so I've been thinking a lot about what prayer is, is for, what we're doing um, when we're praying. And I, I keep, for the last probably year and a half or so, I keep returning to this idea of prayer as a time for truth-telling and for truth-hearing. Um, I've really been struck recently about just how easy it is uh, for me personally and, and for us as a society to try to sort of divert our attention away um, from the things that we know are true, but that might also be challenging or difficult or call us to something different, something new. Um, I, I'm also reminded that, that Jesus says that the truth will set you free. Um, and I find that to be a really powerful promise. Um, Jesus says, lay your heart bare, be honest about who you are and what you yearn for, and that freedom awaits you there. And so this morning, I want to invite all of us to kind of gather our hearts together for a time of 
communal truth-telling and truth-receiving. Over the next few moments, we'll try our best to talk about, to tell the truth about who God is, to tell the truth about what God asks of us and how we might do that work together. So I invite you, when you hear me say the words, Lord, in your mercy, to respond out loud with, hear our prayer. Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, we begin our prayer to you this morning with a simple acknowledgement of your goodness and your love for us. God, we know that you are ever present and you watch over us with love and with care. You're a God who draws near, who makes yourself vulnerable for the sake of relationship. And so we start by thanking you for just meeting us here this morning, for choosing to be close. God, this morning we acknowledge and we pray for the many concerns of our East Side community, that we so often work hard to show others that we have it all together. The truth is there are many here among us, myself included, who may be struggling, fearful, wounded, weary, waiting for you. God, some are anxious about physical or emotional well-being. Some of us fear for our job security or our ability to cover our needs, to provide for those that we love. God, many of us worry about the future. We wonder what the road ahead holds for us and what difficulties might be waiting. God, when we sense this fear and anxiety and uncertainty building inside of us, and also when we encounter it in those around us, help us to remember our true identity as your beloved children. Let us lean into the ever-present and sure hope that we have in Jesus, who conquered death and who rules over our world. God, let us not stop at remembering these truths, but help us also to embody them. Let us bring your good news to life for one another. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, as we glance around our city and our country and our world, we know that things are not as you intended. There is quite a bit around us to be angry about or to be tired of or to turn away from. God, we know that there are so many who are treated differently because of the way they look because of who they love, because of how they think, because of where they live. God, we know that our daily actions and patterns of living are wreaking havoc on this planet that you've entrusted to us. We know and we acknowledge that it is easier to insulate and to protect ourselves than to enact and to participate in your restorative justice. So God, this morning we ask that you help us to resist the temptation to look away. Help us to feel in our bones and to trust in every moment in our, of our lives that you really are making all things new. We pray that you would give us courage to participate in the building of your coming kingdom, to acknowledge the things in our world and even deep in our own hearts that are in need of restoration. May we trust God that your gospel is true May we give sacrificially. May we love authentically. May we bear witness to your goodness each day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, help us this day to remember that these acts of radical, self-emptying love and justice to which you called us 
can also be accompanied by a deep and enduring sense of joy. God, doing justice is hard. There are times that we grow weary, but you are good. So God, let us be angered by injustice. Let us be troubled and unsettled by what we see in our world today. But let us also respond with joy and with confidence, knowing that your goodness and your truth is writing the final word of our story. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Finally, God, we come to you this morning in silent confession, and we acknowledge our true identity and reflect on the ways that we failed to live in accordance with your will. We pause to recognize our need for your grace this morning and every morning. Hear us now as we silently confess the ways in which we've fallen short. God, you tell us that in our weakness and our vulnerability and our frailty, that your love is made perfect. You tell us that in the same moment we acknowledge our true identity as broken people, we also stumble across in this marvelous way your true identity as our Savior. And so we offer you deep gratitude for meeting us here in this time of confession for responding not with condemnation, but with grace and with love and with welcome. May we receive your grace, not just as a comfort, but as a call to action. May it transform and empower us to live differently this day and every day. Amen. Siblings in Christ, hear this good news. Christ died for us while we were still sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God and amen. Amen. Friends, I invite you now to go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our creator, and in the life-giving strength, fellowship, and presence of God's spirit now and forever. And on your way out, uh, it would be lovely for you to do an elbow bump or a distant wave, thumbs up, whatever, air five, to our new confirmands. Go in peace, friends. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.